Christmas feel to it. Amen. And I'm all about Christmas music. I family had to work me in. That's what that was. All right, you can stay seated. We're on church discipline part part four, I believe. Then we have one more part. Um, Tonight we're going to be looking at the need for church discipline. And then uh, next Wednesday night we're going to finish out church discipline on the way, okay? The way of church discipline. And uh, that's that's when we get into the... Well, it's not actually the rubber meets the road tonight. Tonight's where we're going to get in. We've kind of been talking uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, theoretically uh, about church discipline. Tonight is where uh, there's a few things where the Bible specifically states where this process begins, okay? Um, So I want to start with this. When we're talking about tonight, don't get in your brain that we're all the way at the end and we're voting somebody out of the church, okay? This is from the beginning. These are things that have to start from the beginning. I'm just going to tell you, there's going to be a few things in here that you're going to be going, huh? But the Bible says to do it, and it needs to start on a one-on-one conversation. And this is probably where... Uh, I'm t- this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you'll find out how, how really you want to be involved uh, in actual church doctrine, because this is church doctrine. So the need for church discipline. So I just want to make sure you understand, this is at this, all these processes start at the beginning of the Matthew 18 process, which is a one-on-one conversation, all right? So the need for church discipline, okay? Uh, Church discipline is something, especially when we're looking at, we're actually getting on to the corrective portion of church discipline, is not something you walk into in complete confidence and borderline arrogance. Um, It's something that you should go into with much prayer, deliberation, uh, and as impossible it is for humans to be this way, consistency. Consistency. It needs to be practiced across the board. Now again, remember, we're talking about one-on-one conversations to begin with. Now, it's easy to call up your bestie when they didn't show up for church on Sunday, right? But when there's another person who's not your bestie, who you know should be in church, and they weren't here on Sunday, you think somebody else will do it. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, they say, well, what are we talking about church on Sunday? Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Preacher, people think preachers are just, uh, that's just a, a drumbeat for them. Well, yeah, because it's the heartbeat of God. Okay, anyways, the need for church discipline. So, so these things that need to be taken care of, whether it be between two individuals, it needs to be handled with prayer, and deliberation and care. Uh, if, you are, if you are bad at confrontational conversations, then read some books and get some practice. Amen? Do you hear what I'm saying? There are lots of books that will teach you how to have confrontational conversations. Don't use your personality as an out. Okay? Because usually the people that are 
that think they're good at confrontational conversations are the ones you don't want handling it. And the people who feel like they're horrible at it, those are the ones you actually do want walking into those conversations. You want them walking in very carefully, okay? All these things we be taken, maybe thoughtful, prayerful, careful, deliberate, um, whether it be a one-on-one conversation, whether it be a, a two people meeting with, you know, two or three people meeting with, you know, we're the next step, or whether it be a whole church uh, event, uh, that it needs to be handled with care, um, and and very much. I, even I have been, like, say, Dane and I were members at Southwest uh, for five years, which had a membership of between fifteen and eighteen hundred, and we had church disciplinary matters that were dealt with as a church body, where fifteen or to eighteen hundred people handled it properly because it was dealt with carefully. Okay. And we think, oh, how that, that many people? Now, granted, there's always one wild hair, but generally speaking, the whole church handled things as it should have been done, and it was handled well, I believe, every time I've seen it done. So whether it be one-on-one, th- these are things that be done just very carefully. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be done. Okay, that These things have to be done. I'm, I'm afraid this is where we get, we get a little bit too much live and let live, um, because of kind of the American spirit, the American way, or whatever you might want to call it. But at the same time, this is not the United States of America. This is the church of God under the headship of Jesus Christ. And these processes need to be handled the way, the same exact way biblically, no matter what country you're in, no matter what culture you're in, no matter what language you speak, we need to handle it as the Bible says, not drifted into by our culture. I heard a preacher say an interesting thing, and I think it's fair for us to realize. People say nowadays, especially in the United States, oh, man, we must be near the end times, you know, because look at what's going on. And I want to remind them, you mean look at what's going on here in the States. Oh, no, all over the world. Like it's never been this bad. I mean, really, think about what you're saying. Uh, The preacher said this. He said, America needs God. God doesn't need America. This, this world could, I mean, heaven forbid, I would hope the Lord comes tomorrow, but this world could tarry for another couple thousand years. And if it loses America, God's not, work is not done. God's power is not diminished. You know what I'm saying? Do you, do you think the people, we always look up at the Jews during the Holocaust, but there were millions of people that were killed during the Holocaust. Six million Jews, and I think the total killed was somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 plus million people that were killed during the Holocaust, six million of which were Jews. Do you think they thought it was close to the end times? Do you think they thought, oh man, the Lord's got to be coming soon, look at what's going on. So listen, you understand that we get into this habit maybe in the United States where we feel like, well, you know, live and let live, you know, and, and you know, we just need to, just need to survive. No, this is this is a church body that functions together. We need to draw together. If things are getting bad, we don't need to be pulling apart in individualism. We need to be pulling, we need to pulling together in church unity. Church unity. Again, almost every time the word unity is used in the New Testament, it's a church context. Not saying there shouldn't be some form of unity between us and other churches. That's the kingdom. But unity is inside a church membership. Okay, And this is one of the ways this starts. Oh, what do you mean? 
Yes, it is one of the way it starts. You, you don't have a functioning, church, a functioning body of any sort without it being self-correcting. There has, there has to be self-correction. There has to be a, a, a major company does not live if each little subdivision of the company starts becoming independent kingdom and they can't talk to each other and work together. Eventually that company will die. It will die because they're not achieving the company's goals. Do you understand that? Does everybody follow, me, follow along? We, we have a goal as a church body. Goals, many goals. And among those goals, besides our unity, of course, is you know spreading the gospel, functioning in unity, functioning under authority. Do you realize that us functioning under authority is a testimony to the world just as much as us going out and knocking out the door? I'm knocking on the door. I'm saying... This is, this is what we say we believe, and this is what we try to believe. Amen? That, that should be just as much a testimony. Amen? Amen? Okay. So, I might be building this up bigger than it should be, but I, I, I do believe it's serious, and I do think there's an area where a lot of churches in the U.S., just probably a lot of churches in the world, we, we tend to fail because we don't like confrontation. Okay. So, the New Testament gives us several instances where the exercise of disciplinary measures, again, starting with one-on-one, don't run all the way to the end here, that are essentially, at least it seems to be, the, they're presented as being required. Okay? Some of these make perfect sense. So letter A, false doctrine. Holding, not, not, just, not just someone who has it, who is thinking incorrectly and, and can be adjusted, or even is asking good, honest questions and has, is having a hard time coming around to it, but someone literally who is holding on to false doctrine and promoting it inside the church. Okay? Someone who is literally causing a problem inside the church. Uh, there's a couple of passages here I can go to. That I mean, there's many we could go to. Um, and... Usually, the way the Bible talks about this, in Titus it actually says, after you've dealt with the first two admonitions, okay, the one-on-one and the two-on-one, this is what you need to do. After two admonitions are given, Titus in chapter 3, it says in verse 10 and 11, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. You hear that? Reject. Knowing that he, is, that, he that is such is subverteth, is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. So if a man is inside the church, literally putting forth false doctrine, and he's, he, will not be, he will not be corrected by a one-on-one or by, or by two or three people, so just take it to the church and he needs to be rejected. Reject him. He, he does not need to be in. We, do, we should not put up with someone in the church who is just blatantly saying, well, I believe Calvinism or any other false doctrine. You all ought to believe it too. They, that should not be allowed, okay? Uh, Romans chapter 16. Romans in chapter 16. <clears throat> Verses 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And it's funny, that's who they go after often enough too, is those who are, have a teachable spirit. Um, it, it's quite often that newly saved people 
are some of the ones that the, the devil targets the quickest with false prophets because they're, they're sponges learning. They want to learn. And if, and if a, good, a good church is not filling that learning hole, they're going to go get it from somewhere. So, but here we have, if someone is, is causing, di- causing division, you hear that, and offenses, contrary to the doctrines you have learned, you need to avoid him. He, need, he needs to be avoided. Again, he's talking, talking to the church there. You, plural, brethren, plural, you need to avoid them. We don't need to have them. They're, all they're doing is serving themselves. We could go to Galatians. We could go to 1 Timothy 6. We could go to Titus 1. We can go to 2 John 10. We can go to Jude 3 and 4. I mean, there's lots of places where the same thing is talked about. But one of the very important things, again, because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, we certainly can't allow false truth to be peddled in the foyer while the truth is being, is being preached from the pulpit. Do you understand that? That, there's the simplest way to do that. And I'm just telling you, the simplest way. Someone comes up to you and starts saying something that you're like, this is not right. Like you, you're not sure if it's right or you, you know for sure it's not right. You grab their elbow and say, that's a good point. Let's go talk to the preacher about this. I, I'm dead serious. If they refuse to come and talk to the preacher, it, they, you need to leave them alone and then you, you need to come to the preacher and say, hey, this guy's in the back saying this and this and this, and then we'll be dealing with it from there. Uh, that's the way to take care of it. Uh, if they immediately don't want to talk to the preacher, that's a good sign that they're not on the right doctrine, and they know they're not. Okay, So, holding and promoting false doctrine. Number two, disregard of church authority. Church authority. Okay, Obviously, but if he neglect to hear the church, Matthew 18, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Listen, if a man is going to have a whole church look at him saying, brother, you are wrong in this matter and you need to get right. And he says, well, I ain't going to get right no matter what you say. Hello? That person doesn't belong with the body until they can correct their own heart. And that is the hope that they can correct their own heart. Disregard of church authority. Oh, by the way, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about it here. But when we have a church vote on a matter, okay, when we have a church vote on a matter, and the church votes, and by the way, if you're not voting what you believe the Holy Spirit wants you to vote, okay, that's, that's wrong, number one. You should pray before every vote and ask the Lord to help you with that vote. Before every vote, you should be praying, asking the Holy Spirit to guide you, because it's not your opinion that matters, it's what God wants, Okay? And we have lots of conversations. I, back, there's things that we bring up. We talk about the office, back in my office with the men before we ever even bring it out to a vote. And I'm, I like point at, ask some of these guys. I've pointed out, what do you think? What do you think? No, we're not leaving. Tell me what you think. Okay, what do you think? What do you think? Because we need, that, we need another input. But once the church has put forth a subject and the church as a whole has voted one way or the other on that subject, that is the will of God for the forward motion of the church. And for you to try to subvert that after the vote, you are disregarding church authority. Not pastoral authority. Church authority. The church has said, this is what we are doing. Get on board or keep your mouth shut. You had an opportunity prior, okay? You had an opportunity prior and hopefully we'll do more and more. I, my hope is once we kind of get into this role, we're going to be able to tell it out there, listen, 
This is the things we're going to be voting on. This is what we're going to be talking about. And sometimes we have discussion about it. Okay? Most of the time, though, the men have already gone through and we've worked out a lot of details. We've kind of argued some of the stuff, the different things. Uh, so listen, once the church has voted, that is the church's authority and, and the Lord's will backs that up. If the Lord's will does not back that up, he'll make that evident. You hear what I'm saying? He'll make that evident. Or you approach it properly. Uh, go, don't, don't talk in the background. I, some of y'all are having some questions on this, I think. But I'm telling you, don't disregard church authority. The will of the church, being led by the Holy Spirit, that should end the matter. That's the done deal. So holding and promoting false doctrine, disregard of church authority. And I think this one's obvious. 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. This should be, should be obvious to us, but it's not always obvious that this is what's happening. Sometimes we have to be aware. 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. <clears throat> so holding and promoting false doctrine a disregard of church authority. Number three, a contentious spirit. A contentious spirit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look it down in verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Did you hear what he's calling out? He's calling out contention amongst the group. Look, look at, we're going to continue. He continues the argument. Go to chapter 3. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Okay, go down to verse uh, chapter 11. And what, I'm, there's some various thoughts on this. I've even come down a couple sides on this, but it's kind of hard to look at verse 16, chapter 11, verse 16. But if a, if a man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. It's not a place for contention. Contention. Okay? Where, what have we been talking about a lot? We've been talking about church unity. People who are purposefully contentious. Now, what does the word contentious mean? Was that? Yeah, argumentative. Yep, looking for a fight. Quarreling, wrangling. Sometimes people aren't always looking for a fight. They just keep... Maybe they're looking for a fight, but they don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> maybe I can get, you know, So it's, it's somebody who constantly... Now listen, there's always room for good discussion about things, isn't there? Should be. Healthy discussion should be a, should be a good thing. But a person who is constantly debating every single thing, causing strife. I, I have worked in environments, and some of you have too. That's, I mean, you think about it. You've worked in environments where that one person walks in their room and, room and instantly everything's t- 
contentious. Everybody, they're scared to touch anything. They're scared to say anything. They're scared because it's going to turn into an argument. If you say lettuce is green, it's going to turn into an argument. You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, you know what I'm saying? Th- th- those aren't fun people to hang around. And by the way, that should not be what the, the heart of a church is by any stretch. Contention, only by pride cometh contention. Proverbs. Contention destroys the unity of a church and takes its focus off its mission. When, when infighting, you remember, remember I told you about, no kidding, uh, I, I don't know the church, but I was assured that it was, I, I read it and then I talked to some other preachers and they assured me that it was true, that a whole church split over a piece of pie. The church split over a piece of pie. Now you're saying, why over a piece of pie? Well, obviously the piece of pie was the straw that broke the camel's back. But there was somebody that was contention. Contentious, contentious, contentious. You hear what I'm saying? So somebody, and their focus became so inwardly focused that a piece of pie was capable of destroying the the last shred of church unity. And I guarantee you, a church that is concerned about a piece of pie is not concerned about the soul of their neighbor's. Okay, so contentious. So look at, we'll look at a few other verses here. Look at the book of Romans in chapter 12. Romans in chapter 12. Look at verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. But condescend to men of low estate, be, low estate, be not wise in your own conceits. There's the direct command. Be, be of the same mind. Join together in unity. Um, let's see, there's a couple other verses. One we were just at here. I should have stayed right there. <clears throat> First Corinthians 1.10 Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. You, you, you hear that? That we are in the church body, we are to be peacemakers. We're to be peacekeepers. Somebody walks out and, and you can hear contention rolling out of their mouth. Matthew 18 begins. But listen, Matthew 18 begins. Now, you have to use some wisdom here. If they're blowing off steam, let them blow off steam. They're human. Okay? People are people. Are people. I, uh, I remember I was, used to work in a call center, and the lady called in, and she was hot. And I was the salesman, the representative of the company that got to talk to her, and she said, I know where you are. I'm going to come and blow you all up. And, of course, I got to follow protocol, call the floor manager, she just threatened to blow us up, and his first question was, is she serious or is she just blowing off steam? I'm like, I'm pretty sure she's blowing off steam. I said, okay, then just calm her down, see what she needs, and help take care of her. And he says, God, listen, sometimes people, you know, we're human, and stuff makes us mad. We hit the wrong, something wrong happens, and we respond improperly. And how do you know if that does? Because it won't take a long to come back and say, I'm sorry. You know, I probably shouldn't have said that. It's okay. You're just blowing off steam. I get it. You know, it's okay. But if someone is holding on to something, hearing on to it, listen, Matthew 18 begins. And you're the one that hears it. According to Scripture, you are responsible to go and say, Brother, we need to talk about this because you're hanging on to something here that is causing contention, and that's not a good thing in the church. 
You hear that? I could never do that. If you're a part of a church body, you need to do that. If you're part of a church body that's going to function in unity, you need to do that. Now, is there caveats to that? Of course there are. Um, you got somebody, have you ever known someone who's just going through a horrible period of life? And everything in their life right now is contentious. It's not just the events at church. Um, do, do, do you ever met someone like that? It's, it's just the, the place where the person is at. Should there be patience for that? Shouldn't mature people have some patience for someone else who's going through a time of life? Now, granted, a mature person would also help understand that when they respond improperly, listen, I think somehow we think that mature adults are just never going to do anything wrong. (laughs) No, we're all going to do something stupid because we're human. We're all going to say the wrong thing, and maybe even for a lengthy period, what, what, what a mature person does is he makes it right. He seeks reconciliation for his brother or to his brother. Amen. So when we have a contentious spirit, and we could go to the book of Philippians, be all the same mind, you know, let this mind be in you, it's also in Christ Jesus. I mean, there's, there's other passages we could go to here, but when you hear someone that's, that's got a contentious spirit and it seems to be aimed at the church body or within the church, and you hear it, the disciplinary process begins. And you need to help come up alongside the brother, not a finger wagging, come up alongside them, arm around them. Is everything all right? Why is this bothering you? What's the issue? What do we need to talk about here? How can I help you work around it? You hear what I'm saying? We don't wait till they've left the church and they're so mad at everybody and they're pointing fingers at everybody. I just don't know what I could have done. Yeah, you do now. You talk to them, one-on-one, in private. You hear me? In private. Amen. You know where a lot of this can happen? At home. Right here. Y'all get that, right? Like, because, you know, I'm sure she's never heard me come home and vent. And I've never heard her come home and vent. Hello? Some of you have dear friends. Whatever it is, listen. uh, Watch out for contentious spirit. All right. Number four, backbiting and gossip. Backbiting and gossip. So turn to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3. Second Thessalonians in chapter 3, look at verse 11. Verse 11. Paul says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Busybodies. In other words, they're not there helping the forward movement of the purpose of the church. They're out there yakking. Okay? Brother Loose Lips and Mrs. Ratchet Jaw. You, okay. you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So, backbiting and gossip. Also go to 1 Timothy. So just uh, go forward just a few pages. 1 Timothy in chapter 5. 
First Timothy chapter 5, go down to verse 13. Now this is referencing some of the some younger widows, but it's got the idea generally also. First Timothy 5 and verse 13. And withal they learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. And it literally says, if you go back to verse 11, it actually suggests the younger, younger widows refuse to membership. That's what it's saying. Younger widows that in their culture did not have a job uh, refuse them membership uh, because they're, all they're going to do is go around and... <clears throat> That's pretty tough, isn't it? Pretty straightforward, Okay. So Proverbs chapter 6, I think some of you know these verses, Proverbs chapter 6, get get some biblical principles in here about this process. Proverbs in chapter 6, look at verse 16, these six things doth the Lord hate, ye seven are an abomination unto him, look down at verse 19. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth, soweth discord among brethren. And we could look a lot through Proverbs. There's a lot of books and a lot of that stuff in Proverbs. So, I'm going to give you two ways to handle this. Okay? What you should do is say, you shouldn't be talking about that, or we shouldn't be talking about this, or grab the person and say, that's about who? Let's go talk to them about this. I'm telling you, we'll stop it quick. Grab their elbow and say, who did what now? Okay, let's go talk to them about this, to that person. Well, you know, so-and-so said, really, that's what they said? Let's go talk to them about this. Grab them by the elbow and say, let's go, let's go talk to them about this. If they refuse to do it, say, well, then why are you talking to me about it? We, that, you know, you sh- that's not what we should be talking about. And listen, if, you can't, if that's just beyond you, you at least do this. I have got to go. That's dishonest. No, it's not. You have to go. You don't need to be a part of that conversation. If gossip is happening, leave. If you're not going to say something, get out of it. Make it a point to leave while it's being talked about. Walk out. And every time it happens, walk out so everybody knows. Don't talk to them about it. I have got to go. And you do. You need to get out of there. If you're not going to talk to the person, listen, backbiting and gossip. Does anybody here not know what gossip is? What's funny is it, we, get, we get real spiritual about it on prayer request time. You know. I, now, thank the Lord, I've not really seen a lot of that here, but you know, it's one of those, and that's why I preach about our hotline. Our hotline and it really has, uh, I like the way it happens. It's, you know, family member calls up, please pray for me or my family member. This is what we've got. And uh, we do have the hotline. If, you have, if you'd like to be a part of that, talk to Miss Naomi. She's the one that gets that started. But if there's a severe emergency, that people want prayer for, we, we put it on the hotline and we start a, a, a chain of phone calls so that people start praying right then about it. But I have seen those very things, and I'm telling you, I'm going to keep a tight thumb on the hotline. Now, thank the Lord I don't have to worry about Miss Naomi. She's going to help me with that. But I'm going to keep a tight, tight thumb on the hotline. If I think it's turning into gospel power, I'll shut it down. Because in many, many churches, that's what hotlines end up doing. Well, you know, pray for this other person in the church because I heard that's gossip. Okay? It's stuff that wouldn't be accepted in any court. Hearsay. 
okay? Backbiting, you know what that is too, right? Biting someone behind their back. It's the simplest way to do it. <laughs> okay. If you've had kids, you know exactly what backbiting is. There shouldn't be any question about that. All right. So, number, was it five? Number five. This one should be a big surprise. Immoral conduct. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You can turn there if you want. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The passage is 1 through 11. That's the, that's the part where Paul has to deal with the incest that's going on in the church. It was public knowledge. Okay, it was public knowledge. And Paul clearly said, this is not right. You should be taking care of this uh, for the sake of a... I mean, seriously... They were rejoicing in something that the city rejoiced in. So, just say, whenever a church starts rejoicing in the sexual immorality of the culture, the the church is way down the wrong path and needs to be corrected. Amen. Is everybody connecting the dots? We're not going to rejoice in the sexual immorality of the culture. That doesn't mean we have to be disrespectful or unloving, but we... We're not going to allow sin or approve of sin or even applaud it, not doing that. And if it's in the church, it's a public sin, it should be dealt with publicly. Okay? Again, you, you remember the order is, the, the whole idea of that whole order again is deal with it in the smallest group possible. If it can be dealt with just between one-on-one, Great. If only two families in the church know about the issue, why involve the whole church? There's no need to involve the two families. So six years later, you find out about it. Well, how come we didn't do something? We did, and it was handled properly. How come I didn't know about it? Because you didn't need to know about it. It was none of your, none of your business. Okay? It's amazing how fired up people get about something that was dealt with and taken care of literally Years prior, and I've seen this happen over and over and over again, dealt with well, dealt with properly, but somehow they felt left out because they didn't know about it. If you don't know about it, so much the better. I'm just telling you, here's one of the greatest things about church discipline to find out right now, is if you don't need to know about it, you don't want to know about it. I'm, ser- I'm just telling you. Just, if you're not a part of it, you don't want to be a part of it. We've had to deal with things in this church that some of the members of this church still don't know about, and I hope you never do, because we dealt with it in the smallest group possible. Amen. Okay, so immoral conduct. I think that goes without saying. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Uh, Immoral conduct. Amen. All right, number six, disorderly conduct. Disorderly conduct. So turn to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3, and what we mean here is not just someone who is, has an issue in, in a moment. The idea is that they are unruly, okay? They cannot follow uh, leadership. They will not follow leadership. So Second Thessalonians chapter 3, they will not be ruled. They will not listen to the church. They will not listen to the preacher, okay? Second Thessalonians in chapter 3. Go down to verse 6. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3. Go down to verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. 
Move on down to verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Again, they are, the idea that they're not working with the, the, the purpose of the church, okay? They're pretty much doing nothing and they're just getting involved in being unruly inside the church, okay? You could add if you want to that. You could put down Proverbs 18.9. But where a member refuses to submit to God's order for the church, there is an order. Um, and this can this really can kind of cover a whole lot of things. Uh, <clears throat> when a member is con- and listen, I, I'm thinking of a whole other church, so forgive me if this is happening here and I don't know about it. But when a member is never in the auditorium and they have no reason not to be, but they're always at church. In other words, when the preaching is going on and they're not responsible for a class, and they're always like out in the foyer or down by a Sunday school class, or talking to the nursery workers, that's out of order. They are, we have an order in which we do things. Okay? If, if you're not responsible somewhere, this is where you belong, in here. Okay? It's amazing, with, and, and I'll just tell you, we're going to put in a training room over here, and I'm going to be a little strict about it. Because training rooms can quickly get used, well, I don't really want to be in the service, so I'm just going to go in the training room. No, if you're a grown-up with no kids, that's not your place. If you're not training a kid, you don't belong over there. You belong in here. If you're sick or coughing, just stay out in the foyer, that's fine. Although, you know, well, anyways, you can probably get around that too. If you're sick, you ought to be home anyways. So, disorderly conduct. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is kind of an interesting one. That, as a matter of fact, I actually questioned it. Like, are you serious? That's in here? 1 Corinthians in chapter 5. So again, you, find, you, you keep wondering where so-and-so is, but you keep seeing them leave the church, but you never see them in the auditorium. Just walk up and say, where were you at? I mean, you know, preaching's going on. We're all singing. Where were you at? Were you, were you sick? Not feeling well? No, I was just, what are you doing over there? You know? Did Miss Dana put you on the nursery schedule? No. How come you're not in with the preaching? Well, I don't know, preacher, I'm going to leave. I just never grow. Yeah, I would imagine not. You're never in the preaching. (laughs) Anyways, oh, y'all don't think that's funny, but if there's a room full of preachers, there'd be a lot of giggling going on right there. All right, so 1 Corinthians in chapter 5. Look down at verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, again, you, plural, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, look at this, or covetous. That's kind of an interesting one, isn't it? Covetous. A covetous spirit. Now, you know what coveting is, right? It's always wanting Always wanting, want this, I'd like that. And it's this constant spirit of covetousness. I wish we had that. I wish I had that. I wish it was this. I wish it was that. Now listen, do, do we all struggle with that to some extent? You know, I wish this about my car. I wish this about my... No, but it's a person who's always, like their whole spirit is just ruled by wishing something else. Which, by the way, is akin to unthankfulness. Which is akin to a whole lot of other stuff. Look at Romans 1. 
covetous, always wishing for more, always wanting something different, never content, never satisfied. Um, we could add to that if you want Ephesians chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Guys, you ever hear another man make a comment about another man's wife? You ought to, you ought to hit it on the spot. You ought to say something. On the spot. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, guys. Like the comment that just, it's right at the line. You ought to say, uh-uh, no, that, that we don't need that. You should, you should not have said that. On the spot. One-on-one. It ought, something ought to be said. Okay? And anything else in that realm. Covetous. Coveting. All right, let's go to 3 John. Say, oh, we need to kick these people out? No, again, listen, all the way back to the first part of Matthew 18, one-on-one. That's the first part of church discipline is one-on-one. Okay, 3 John. 3 John. Now, this is kind of an interesting, it's kind of coming at it from a sideways marker. So I I wouldn't necessarily call this a doctrine per se, but it's hard to get away from the fact that it probably, well, it is. I mean, obviously, because it would actually go back to disorderly, I believe. But um, look at 3 John, look at verses 9 and 10. John says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, Receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, praying against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. You hear what he's saying is, there's going to be some church discipline when I get there. When I get there, we are going to deal with this. What is he dealing with? Someone who is, they love the power, and they're using the power. They love to have the preeminence, okay? Um, someone who likes having the leadership and is you know, using it for personal gain. So an arrogant deportment is what, my, is what our um, note, the guy in our notes has said. I'm just saying a guy who's arrogant or likes using his power, that's one that is not a good thing. Okay, um, First Corinthians chapter 6. We're just about done. Just literally. We've got two things left. 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. Okay, now some of you are going to be wondering, why this? And we're going to we'll talk about it again. I want you to start with this again. Remember the Matthew 18 process. Okay? The Matthew 18 process. Believers need to deal with each other and take care of it between each other. And if they can't, they go to a... Okay? So look at 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? You hear that? This should be done before the saints. Do you not... Again, he's talking about civil stuff here. We're not talking about criminal acts. Okay? God has given authority for criminal acts. So clearly... Clearly, in the New Testament, Old Testament, there's a God is a God ordained authority for criminality. Okay, this is civil stuff. Okay, suits, but lawsuits and stuff like that. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? 
Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you any are ye any are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Uh, so this, hear this. If you find out that one member is taking another member to court, and it was never brought before the church, there needs to be some church recognition of that and some church action. Did you hear that? Oh, just a little thing. Now, granted, I understand there's insurance companies and all that stuff. They can do all their own thing, whatever. But if you have a problem with another brother, you bring it here. If it's not criminal, you bring it here. Do you understand what Paul is saying? He says, the least esteemed person in your believer in your church could was probably be a better judge than the than the court system. Do you see that? A person a person who is the least esteemed in the church, they would be a better judge than taking this to the court system. But don't take this don't take this stuff to church or to the law. You know, again, we're not talking about criminal acts. God has ordained authorities to take care of criminality. We're talking about Disagreements, lawsuits, those kind of things between each other, between two uh, people about, you know, all, any number of sorts of things that we can imagine. Okay? He gives us the wrong course in verse 1, the right course in verse 4, and the best course in verse 7. Okay? So, listen. Every one of these things probably somehow slipped past the Matthew 18 process, and it needs to be, it needs to be brought back in and taken back through the Matthew 18 process we find that a brother has taken another brother to law. Now, I hate to tell you this, but we're going to get into, you get into some hairy stuff. Um, this might even include things like divorce. Uh, you hear what I'm saying? That should be dealt with as much as possible first inside the church. Again, no criminality happening. There needs, it, needs to be happen, it needs to be taken care of as much as possible inside the church. As much as possible. Uh, you know what's funny to me is that it tends to be people, people who run down that pathway are either barely in church or they're in church but not really there. You know what I'm saying? And it's after that that they wish they would have gotten in. Now, that's not the rule. I understand there's some exceptions to that. Um, but in my experience so far, uh, it's just kind of interesting. So anyways, all right, so taking other church members of the law, last one, last one. I told you this was coming, so Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we could, go, we could go all the way up to verse 22, but let's just start in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. 
And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. You see someone that's not in church, what does that passage say you should do? What does the passage say you should do? What's that? Yeah. Call them. Man, I sure have missed you in church. Or what's crazy is people come and ask me, hey, where's so-and-so? You know what's funny is? People are real amazing to do a pretty good job of evading the preacher. (laughs) I mean, everybody's got my cell phone. Sometimes I just got to show up at their house. And I try. And I do, especially if they're in my Sunday school class. I've... Uh, a couple weeks ago, I sent out a whole bunch of texts. Hey, missed you. Find out this person's sick, didn't know they were sick. That's good to know. Matter of fact, found out there was like a whole bunch of people sick that day. But, you know, what are we doing? We're supposed to provoke each other, not sit in the pew and go, they're so unfaithful. Because that's provoking them to good works, right? No, amen. Listen, we, we are... Being out of church is not helpful for your spiritual walk. Is not. In church, with the body. With the body. Well, I don't like the body. Well, then you're having a hard time with something that Jesus loves and died for. The problem may not be the body. Amen? Amen? Listen, I've seen God bless people who have been under a dictator, literally a dictator pastor for decades. And God bless and speak to the people because they maintained their faithfulness. They weren't there for the preacher. They were there because that's what they're supposed to do and that's when they found their peace with God. You can hide behind all sorts of things you want to about reasons you don't come to church. But wonder what that would look like when you have to answer to God for that. When you stand before God, well, I didn't like, but I gave you a church body. Yeah, but the pastor, but I, the past, your attendance is not dictated by the pastor. Your attendance is not dictated by so-and-so. You're dependent, you're, you're, you know what I'm saying? Your attendance isn't dictated by that. If somebody's not in church, first step of Matthew 18, first step of church discipline. Hey, brother, I didn't see you. Yeah, I understand. I do, but brother, you know... You know where you need to be. I mean, there's there's people looking for you. I've told you the story before about one of our uh, faithful, Grandma Ashbaugh. She's in heaven now. But my dad pastored a little bitty church in a town of about 2,000. And uh, maybe, yeah, two or 4,000, something like that. And we had Grandma Ashbaugh. Her husband was, I mean... Uh, one of the most wicked men in town when we first got there. Ran the tire shop, cuss a blue streak. I mean, just uh, barely had any respect for my dad when he showed up. Now, thank the Lord, God saved him, and that was down the road. But Grandma Ashbaugh, faithful as faithful could be. And uh, she missed one Sunday. And it, it was just one of those things her husband refused her to go to church. And, but just, just a little thing, she wasn't there. And another lady 
quiet as a mouse, said, where's Bernie? My dad said, well, you know, she, she couldn't be here today, you know, and she, and she, in tears, began to weep. Says, I've had such a hard week, and I was just, I was just hoping to see her in her place because it was an, it's an encouragement to her. And Bernie never knew that just her being in her place, in her pew, four rows back and three rows, three seats over, there was a lady that watched for her to sit there, and that was her encouragement for the week, is that she was in her place during church time. Now think of that. Now granted, those two got it right, but I mean, what a testimony to church faithfulness. We don't even know. Ah, nobody ever watched. I'm not leading anybody. Oh, really? Oh, really? You don't know who might be watching for your face. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Why don't we kick them out if they don't come to church? I, actually, you know, there's a, there's a pretty good realm of reasoning that if you're not assembling with the body, then you're no longer a part of the body. If I get up every day to work and my left hand stays in bed, <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? How, can the church function? And listen, we understand people get sick. We understand even people taking vacations. and uh, I, We understand that. But there's other excuses that just aren't, they're not worth it. They're not real. They're not real. They certainly don't, they certainly don't exceed. But anyways, so there's where the beginning of church discipline should play, took place. Hey, as a matter of fact, it reminds me of a phone call I need to make. Someone asking me to help them with their walk with the Lord. If somebody asks you to help them, you know what, it's all right. Would you help me be accountable? I hate that stuff, but you know, if somebody's asking for help, they're asking for exhortation to do right, to be prodded to do right, you know, I'd kind of like a good idea. Maybe you should do that. You think? Amen. All right, so church discipline part, part four, did I say? I think it's part four. Yep. So next week, next week we'll finish out church discipline part five on the how, the how of church discipline. Father, we thank you very much for the day. Lord, we would ask that.